0: This is James Hahn II, and you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. This is Episode 74.5. Point five episodes are my chance to speak with entrepreneurs, executives, and thought leaders from inside and outside the industry. To hear their stories, what inspires their work, what culture drives their company, what innovations they're bringing to the oil field. My guest today is James Wanjama, petroleum engineering student at the University of Houston. We often say the greatest thing about oil and gas is the people who work in this industry. Talking to James Wanjama filled me with a similar sentiment about our country. The greatest thing about America is the people, those who grow up here and those who come here in the pursuit of happiness through living the American dream. But James's upbringing was anything but a dream. He grew up in rural Kenya. His family had no running water, so he spent his evenings after school fetching water from wells. His parents regularly made long pilgrimages from the village to the city to sell food they grew to provide for the family. So how does a young man who grew up in abject poverty, where having electricity was a dream, come to live the American dream? James stopped by Tribe Rocket Inc's first studio in the Galleria
1: in Houston, Texas, to tell us the story. Back then when um, my parents and their parents were naming kids, they were actually naming them based on how they see they see their kids are so their last names actually meant something so like my dad's last name I mean my dad's name which is Wanjama which is my last name actually means something who's got plants so Njama it's plants and so Wanjama is someone who has plants us white people just don't
0: have it like that <sighs> my last name is German it means rooster <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: just not it just doesn't doesn't have the same ring to it right Surely not But <laughs> you've had plans from the beginning, so let's let's start back there because you are from Kenya, right? Talk to us about that because we were just looking at it. And so, for anybody that doesn't know, because plenty of us ignorant Americans, like myself, let I me mean, look it up the map, make sure I got the right side of the country. Wait, no, it's a continent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's over there on the east. Coast of Africa. Right. What year were you born?
1: I was born in 1986.
0: 1986. Right. And what was it like growing up?
1: Well, um, we moved because um, my mom was the oldest in her family, so we um, grew up with uh, my grandparents for uh, until I was about like five years, and then so that's when we moved on our, on our own. We moved to Nairobi where my mom and my dad, they were like uh, business people, so, you know, just trying to make ends meet. It was real tough growing up because the place that we moved to, it didn't have um, any clean water, no electricity, so we... In Nairobi, it's the capital city. Yeah, but we were living in the outskirts of Nairobi. So, But even still, Nairobi itself, it has tap water, which is not really clean, drinkable water. To this day? um right right now it's, it's it has improved right now right now it's much better but back then it was really bad um that was back in um nineties like um early nineties um so and so we used to um go fetch water with my brothers and mostly we'd um we'd get uh water reservoir waters uh from the quarry um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, the aquifers. Um, so that's where we used to go get water, and so it was, it was like a bare land. So the next neighbor was probably like half a mile away from you guys, um, and so you can imagine something like electricity, we just—it's um, nothing that we thought that would ever have. Um, so it was really tough growing up. You mentioned your parents were business be- what 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 were they doing? Well, it's just our jobs, whatever they'd come across, you know, that's what we consider business. I mean, well, business back there, it's not like as fancy as you'd think. Somebody somebody saying that, yeah, he's a business person. And so you eventually I mean, you automatically think that they make a lot of money. Um over there it's just somebody who has a small kiosk that's selling vegetables, that's a business person to you, that's your average business person. And in, in I, just from talking to other, other immigrants mm-hmm. from
0: Africa, I know that I've actually found out or discovered that, at least in Nigeria, what, what people call rich is, to Americans, is just getting by.
1: That's correct, that's very correct.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a whole other world, and so you grew up with no electricity, yes no running water
1: no running water your whole life yeah for most part of my life um yeah until i got to be um a teenager that's when we started having distribution of water and we started getting at least tapped water close by but not exactly to our house so yes so you still had to fetch it yes we still did is that an early in the morning type of a chore Yes, it was early in the morning, but mostly uh, late in the evening when we came home from school. <laughs> That's all you want to do when you get home from school, right? Go and it was get tough. a bucket of water. <laughs> it's nothing every kid wanted to do because he wanted to to get home and, you know, finish your homework and play with your with your friends. But that, that was a luxury. Playing around was a luxury. And if your mom caught you playing around and, you know, you hadn't finished uh, fetching water and, you know, doing your chores, it was... It was bad for you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know
0: that. I know there's there's a Trevor Noah joke about that, (laughs) but I won't go there. (laughs) No, no, Oprah. We will not. We we will not. (laughs) We will not punish the children. (laughs) We beat the children. I'll cut that out. Yeah, still really funny. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So there's hell to pay. Um. So growing up then in that type of environment is that.
1: Where where your current passion for energy comes from? Yes, that's where it comes from and from observing what actually What I went through and what what most of my friends went through and the society at large It's something that I felt like I should really do something because If you didn't have let's say um, five five um five shillings which is it's some pennies in in dollars. If you didn't have that for kerosene, your you'll probably most uh likely that night would not even have light in your house because we're using lanterns. And so the only um source of fuel that we'd use to cook was just um firewoods. And so that's something. In the house, too. Yeah, and that's something, especially in Nairobi, was hard to come by. Um, So in the rural areas, it was much easier, but Nairobi was kind of hard. So, yeah, that's where my passion um, grew from because I felt like, you know, this is something that needs to change. And it is something that I wouldn't wish to ever go back to, like that kind of situation or have my kids grow in that kind of a situation. So that's what propels me to get more involved into, into the energy industry.
0: What was your mom doing then? She was also doing, running a, 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 a kiosk. Right. And vegetables
1: and so forth. Right. So she would go and buy um, uh, products from the rural area, like bananas. Out um, in the villages, right? Right. And bring them to Nairobi because it was a very rare commodity in Nairobi. Because Nairobi, things are always considered pricey. Just like, you know, in everywhere you go, if you go to the city, um, the price of a banana is not the same as the price of the same banana if you go to the rural area. So it was like that. So she used to um, do all sorts of uh, small business like that. You know, run kiosks, um, go get those bananas, come uh, when they're not uh, ripe, um, put them like... um, you um, know, or they call them, um, store them for like about a week until they ripen and then take them to the kiosk. So that's pretty much what my mom and my dad used to do. And you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I do. How many? Uh, two older brothers and one small sister. Poor girl. <laughs> well, right now she's, she's well taken care of because I Send us some school fees, so, <laughs> <laughs> so and some money.
0: But so, uh, talk to me about then growing up, and then you're you're going through grade school, and and it goes. Um, there's different phases, I believe, in African right. school systems. It's right. not well. It's, it's similar to here, where we have elementary, mm-hmm. high school, and so forth. Do you have twelve grades?
1: Um, no, uh, our system is called 844. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, eight uh, years in uh, primary school, eight uh, four years in uh, secondary school, and four years in uh, higher education, which is university level. So, yeah, it's called the 844 system. So it's pretty much a combination of grade grades 1 to 12 for primary and secondary. And was that a good education for you? No, it wasn't. Talk to me about that. It wasn't in the sense that um, only one exam determines your future. So at the end of your eighth year in uh, primary school, you're tested with the examination board, which is called NEC, National Examination Board. And so it's one standardized test that it doesn't really matter, you know, um, if you are sick or if you had family issues if you perform um poorly in that national exam you are you'll seen like a failure if you don't get a's, you're seen like a failure, even b's they're not considered something prestigious to take home so you you had to get a's and so if you don't perform well, you don't go to a good um high school, which national schools were the best. You don't get to go to a good national school. That means you don't get to a chance to go to university, and that means that your life pretty much is just doomed because you won't excel in life if you didn't um, go through those processes. There's an
0: educational type of class system, um, based on how you test on that one test.
1: No, really. Yeah. Yeah, not really, because um, if you, it was it was a. Um, it was more unfair than, you know, than fair, um, in the sense that, especially in my primary school, we had um, classification of classes. So let's say like in class eight, um, you had east, west, and south. So east east was what the brightest kids, and then west in between, and then south, it was like the less bright kids. And so you'd see, like, teachers weren't paying much attention to the South. And even when they'd make noise, and I mean, the teachers would show up late to classes, and they wouldn't pay much attention to them. So it's like just pushing them through graduation, and after that, it's just to the society. And also growing up,
0: y- you grew up around the time that the Somalia famine was going on right across the border. Correct. And what was that like?
1: It was brutal because um, a lot of friends that I know where the Somalians were actually moving to, um, they actually, there were were like a lot of conflicts because it's just like today's America now, you know, I mean, the immigration system in the US where um, immigrants come, like, you know, most of them, like, they come illegally, and then they take um, Americans' jobs, which is, that's how, like, most of Kenyans used to view them. And so that was a big deal. And even the little resources that still Kenyans were trying to scr- uh, to scramble for, um, they were being used or being divided uh, between Kenya and Somalia. Although we could still, I mean, although in terms of food, um, Kenya, Kenya has plenty because um, our main econo- e- economy is based on agriculture. So we could afford food for, um, Somalians but when it comes to uh, you know monetary funds and you know things like uh, things like that that's when we actually felt um, a burden. and but you know and back then the economy wasn't as strong as it is today so what's the economy like in Kenya today um, the economy right now it is uh, it is pretty good because it's Kenya is considered as one of the uh, powerhouses it's actually a powerhouse in the East Africa but the only thing that's dragging that country behind is corruption. M- typical African continent story, right? And
0: who who do we have to get rid of this time? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, like I was just recently reading uh, about um, some of the appointed cabinet officials, you know, that just being indicted for massive corruption deals. I think the president himself it's uh, he's turning a blind eye towards you know corruption and people that he elected um, it's kind of like well I made that choice I have to live with it you know it's not like okay I entrusted you you betrayed me and you know there you go no it's not like that so it kind of seems like he's mostly protecting some of them um, some of the people who are being um, accused of corruption and it's something that is not helping the country grow Although he recently declared it to be like a national epidemic, so
0: so we, he's got good rhetoric. We'll see if he backs it up.
1: Yeah, although he did that, I think that's what that's uh, that was when he was in Paris. Uh, so it's I hope it's not an international stand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's what's fascinating to me always about talking to people f- from, especially from Africa, or any of the any of the poorer countries or continents around the world is that we we don't realize how good we have it in America. True. <laughs> we don't. Not not only just the simple thing of turning on a light bulb. Right. But we get really upset at our politicians. Oh, they're all corrupt. They're all this way. It's like, <laughs> brother, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> you can't
0: see nothing. You know what they're doing over here, you know.
1: Just look at the uh, news today and see what's going on in uh, Uganda. They're actually having uh, elections and it is Do
0: you, you ever get chaos. in conversations with Americans where you, you kind of check their privilege if you will?
1: Well, <laughs> Um, something funny is that uh, uh, Mark and I, every time that we sit down for a coffee or lunch, uh, this always comes up, you know, he's always interested to know, you know, he just, he's so interested in these stories and it just gives him like, you know, he, he appreciates the fact that America is, has plenty. And um, it gives me a chance to talk about it because in my day-to-day life, um I don't really encounter like Americans that I can sit down and talk to like you know in such depth because um, most of them probably they don't know that um, much about you know um, history and geography and um, international um, events. So the only people that I probably do talk to in depth uh, about these kind of topics are people who are middle-aged people who are much more interested in <laughs> some other people kind of that affairs. have some perspective about things <laughs> that's right all right well it's good to know that i'm old <laughs> i love it <laughs> so I,
0: my uh, my my son's cousin told me last night I was an old man but then he followed up by saying i didn't look like an old man so i appreciated that so i really appreciate you taking us through that but let's 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 transition now and talk about you, how you got into the states? Because you said you had family here already in Dallas. Is that right? Right, that's correct. So,
1: at what age were you when you made that decision to come to America? So that was when I was still in college back in Kenya, like in my twenties. Uh, um, uh, actually, yeah, nineteen twenty. That's when I was like, you know, I need to to pursue something. I need to get out of here. I need to have a whole different perspective about the world and see how things work out there because um everybody that i know uh they've just been around the same place uh grown up uh, with the same problems and there wasn't anyone offering any solution and i knew that i had a cousin who was um, in the states um, actually i had two of them Uh, one of them was in boston and the other one was in dallas so started talking to them uh and you said up. no no snow <laughs> <laughs> no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no snow
0: i'll pass on boston they, they just had the worst snowstorm of all time i think last week so, really or, oh
1: yeah i saw that <laughs> Yeah,
0: guys uh they were skiing through the streets doing wow. doing skateboard tricks and so forth Put right. it in the show notes. That's <laughs> brutal. So you were like, "Yeah, no, I'll go to Dallas instead."
1: Exactly. So they both told me, you know, how different cities are. You know, the Dallas was it was a good place to be, and um, you know, they told me the cost of education, especially if I come to community college, wouldn't be that expensive. So uh, from there, I'll, but I'll, you, were, I'll figure
0: out. I skipped a step though because you were doing civil engineering oh, right. before that. Right. So you, you've always had the sickness of an engineer's mind.
1: Right, right. <laughs> I've, always <laughs> I've always actually loved um, solving problems and one of actually, uh, one of my science projects that I did in high school was um, converging ele- um, sunlight to a focal point um, using, the, um, using a parabolic shape figure, um, pretty much uh, wrapped up in a foil and putting it at an angle and putting stands on it. I'm just acting like I know what you're talking <laughs> about right now. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, it was a uh, cool science project that could help somebody. Because um, if you know that part of, uh, uh, that part of the world is um, semi-arid, so it is like really hot. The sun is like really scorching. If you stand outside like right about now, you would feel that somebody putting a lens on your head. That's how hard the sun gets. What does the, te- the temperature get up to in the summer? well uh the thing uh thing about Kenya is that we don't really have like this uh the number of seasons that we have in the states, so it's we like do California kind of a thing where it's just sunny, yeah, but it gets cold around July, so you'd uh if you uh if somebody's uh, telling you about how cold it is, they reference to like July's weather. They're like, man, it feels like it's July. And that's it's 45 degrees, 50 degrees out. Yeah, that's when it gets like it's really like cold. It's like Houston, <laughs> like a houston area. You know? Right. But during uh, around January, that's when it's like scorching hot. That's it's really hot and it's dry so it's not like you are we it, talking like about 100 110 type yeah something like that yeah, yeah exactly yeah. something
0: like that because because we don't use celsius because <laughs> we're americans darn yeah. it
1: america <laughs> uh, our own units huh <laughs> <laughs> right 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 so um yeah um going back to uh high school uh so that's when i you know i realized from that you know i i, I love math i love sciences um I love chemistry, I love physics. My physics professor really loved me because I made the school go to a uh, provincial level, which was a big deal. And um, so I, I was not a biology person, so I knew for, for a fact that I love you know, solving problems. I'm an engineer, um, have an engineer's mindset. And so that's what I started working on when I graduated from high school. I enrolled um, to a college, and I started w- uh, working on my uh, civil engineering degree um, until, uh so at the moment i was still thinking about um coming to the us and so i started applying and then i got the opportunity to uh, to come to uh, to the us I enrolled to a community college in dallas and um at that time i still i was because i knew that civil engineering was not going to get me exactly into the energy industry and i did not about petroleum and uh, petroleum engineering you so said you did or did not i did not so I just started doing my, my research and into what field would actually lead me into the um, energy industry. And, you know, that's when I came about oil and gas. I researched did more. Did that happen when you were in Kenya as a civil engineer student? No, that did not happen when I was in Kenya.
0: Okay, so once you got to Dallas, and did you kind of feel the oil and gas presence in Dallas? Did that have anything to do with it?
1: Well, not not really, because I was like, um, it is so different because you have a different mindset. Like you, you don't really know it's uh, exactly um, how the city that you're in, how the country that you're in uh, functions and operates. So I didn't really know that. You know, being in especially Texas, though we're sitting on reservoirs, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that. You're like me. That. I just stumbled into
0: the greatest, <laughs> largest industry on earth. I, I'm from Michigan. <laughs> I always say the only thing I knew about g- oil growing up was that I had to change it every 3,000 miles. <laughs> I was supposed to anyway. <laughs> and o- I moved to Austin. And all of a sudden, I got a job at o- in, in oil, and, and I've been here ever since, and they can't get rid of me now, six years almost in July. <laughs> and so continue though because that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so um that's uh that's when I started doing my research into how I'll get into the industry and then I realized wow Texas it is pretty much the best place to be when you want to be in um especially oil and gas industry. And wow, you know, um they the, they have some of the best calls for that. And so I started getting my um community college uh, education towards getting into this um, engineering especially oil and gas I mean petroleum engineering programs and that's when I started focusing on my math and my physics classes
0: that's what I was about to ask you so you you've got some pretty high level math and in physics (laughs) I think I I think um, I made
1: it to trig one and I was like yeah I'm out (laughs) (laughs) this is not me (laughs) Um, Well, I went up to differential equations, um, engineering math. That's as much as I did. But although still I'd love to continue doing, um, taking some more math classes, I love math. But, yeah, I took up to differential equations in community college before I transferred to university. And you decided to go where? At first I decided to go to UT Austin. And how did that work out? So I went to UT Austin. I... um, I transferred with a pretty strong GPA, but that was not good enough to get me into the program. And so I had to take some classes um, within within UT and then transfer like um, after one year. So, but the year that I was supposed to transfer into the program, um, the GPA, the cutoff kind GPA for internal transfer skyrocketed to like 3.88. And I had a 3.55, so I was like, you know, Um, I can, as well, just uh, transfer out and just, you know, because that's my passion. I talked to the advisor. She was like, um, if your passion is to become petroleum engineer, pursue that. If your passion is to, uh, you know, uh, graduate from UT, then you have a good GPA transfer into any other engineering program. But I was like, no, I'm just, um, I will go to Houston, which actually is is a good school because even it's affordable. way affordable. And so, yeah, I decided to transfer to the um, University of Houston. That was in 2014. And uh, I'd say it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. I would have to agree about my move to Houston. I love this
0: city. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can't say it enough. It's like Detroit with oil money. <laughs> what was that process like though of, of how to how to find the best petroleum engineering school? You were in Dallas, I'm sure, mm-hmm. so so you started do Yahooing or Googling, whatever the exactly. time frame was.
1: Yep, that's what I started. That's what I started doing, and I was, and actually a lot of people, especially a lot of Kenyans, um, didn't know about the industry when I was actually doing my research. And I remember talking to my cousin and telling her that I I want to transfer to, um, to you know, to UT to pursue petroleum engineering. She was like, "What is petroleum engineering, and why would you want to go there?" And I was like, well, it's because that's what I want to do. And, you know, that's the only college that's around here that offers, you know, that kind of degree. So while she didn't understand why I made that move, but, you know, but, I did. but later on she actually understood because she got to know more about petroleum industry well, as we talked. But I did that research just from um, Google search. And h- how many schools did you apply to? Uh, I applied to UT, A and M, Texas Tech, and U of H. All, all Texas <laughs> schools. All Texas schools. <laughs> <laughs> you said I've seen. I've seen <laughs> the light. I'm clearly
0: where I need to be for energy. Right. I'm staying here. <laughs> That's great. And so, and so you came to U of H, and right. and you're there now.
1: I am there now. And you're graduating soon. Yes, I'm graduating next spring. And with a. Bachelors? Ba- yes, a bachelors in petroleum, a bachelors in petroleum. And you're looking for an opportunity? Yes, I am. I am actively seeking for internship in the oil and gas industry and I am very actively looking for that because I want something that will probably transition to a job offer by the end of the year and I'm very optimistic. How so? Well, I know my work ethic distinguishes itself, so I know, given the chance, um, the company that I work for, they wouldn't, probably want, they wouldn't want me to leave.
0: I don't think that any of this stuff that we've talked about previously would come up in a job interview, but i got to say, if I, if I learned that someone grew up fetching water with buckets, that <laughs> they, that they <laughs> must have a pretty damn hard work ethic
1: yes yes
0: it's, yes it's built in you but i really loved something that you said when we talked on the phone mm-hmm. because y- you said that something to the effect of it was very hard but i wouldn't trade it
1: for the world that's very true that's very true up to today um most people that sit down and hear my story they uh try to figure out how i've been making all through this time and i tell them that the experience that i've come across they've shaped me to be who I am, to appreciate every single opportunity that I come across and to notice um, the opportunities that are afforded to me. And not many people, like I told you, do have uh, this chance to live both worlds and to experience all that. It's is giving you a, a reservoir <laughs> of experience. <laughs> hi <laughs> Oh
0: man, I did that. <laughs> it's a big mistake. But you you have, no matter how bad the downturn is in, in America in oil and gas, <laughs> you have some pretty good perspective coming to I it. I do. I do. You definitely do. And what is your GPA going to
1: graduate with? Um, it's going to be around 3-4. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not a prestigious one, but <laughs> it's good for engineering, I believe.
0: <laughs> I If I was taking your classes, it would be 1.5 <laughs> probably. You'd make it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen me in geometry class. It was bad, it was real bad. So then uh, we're gonna set up a link mm-hmm. so that people can connect with you and this is gonna take them to your LinkedIn page. Correct. And, and if if anybody wants to reach out to you, do you encourage them to do so?
1: Yes, yes, I, I, um, I do encourage them to do that. Uh, all my contact information will be on there and um, I believe they should be able to reach me via my email and um, that's the most appropriate way of contacting me. All right, James Wanjama, thank you so
0: much for joining me at the home office today.
2: I really appreciate you having me.
0: On a recent trip to Guitar Center, I brought up James's interview to my co-host, Mark McCool. I lamented how long it had taken me to publish this episode. It turned out the delay was quite providential. James was recently accepted into the prestigious Bauer College of Business's Sales Excellence Institute at the University of Houston, and he needs your help. I called James at his home to learn how you and I can help him crush his sales goals in the upcoming 2016-2017 school year. I am looking for James Wanjama.
2: Yes, is he?
0: James, this is James Han II from the Oil and Gas This Week podcast. Hey, James, how are you? <laughs> hey, brother, I'm doing pretty well. We're finally it's been a while. gonna we're finally <laughs> gonna release your your episode. Can you believe it?
2: Oh man, I can't believe it. It's been a while.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it was even at my old apartment and everything. Oh wow.
2: Yeah, Yeah, a lot of
0: changes, huh? I'm in the museum (laughs) district, uh, you know, now, and you were at the original home studio out in the Galleria, but I'm actually really glad that there was a delay, and Mm -hmm. I I feel, although I do feel bad, because I've said we're going to publish your episode at least three times (laughs) at the end of other .5
2: episodes. (laughs) Don't worry about it. I mean, it's better late than never, right?
0: Well, that, that's, that's exactly the point because I was talking to Mark the other day and he said that you're now enrolled in the Program for Excellence in Selling at the University of Houston. And I thought, man, what, right. a, what a perfect opportunity to hopefully get some support around what you're doing there. So tell us about yes. the Program for Excellence in Selling.
2: So, the program for excellence in selling is the number one pro uh, sales program in the country, and so they do conduct interviews after people apply for for a minor. It's actually a minor that um you it's a minor that runs for two semesters and a third semester depending on your interest in sales but so a really competitive program you get a lot of applicants and it's really hard to get into i know that yes it is very very hard to get into so they actually select about 70 students out of like a, a pool of applicants of about like 300 students so it it actually is very competitive so they break it down to the first semester second semester um uh, they give you projects And the first semester's project is actually selling golf tournaments where you you are given, like, uh, certain packages. You go out there, create contacts, you know, uh, sell them the uh, golf tournament. And then the second semester, uh, the project that students actually do is sell the career fair. So that is actually you sell mostly to potential companies that students from your sales program will probably uh, work for. So it's not like the golf tournament where you can sell to individual players, but this actually you sell it to companies that are interested in hiring some of your students.
0: And so for that first semester, when you say selling the golf tournament, that's selling sponsorship holes and then also participation in the golf tournament. Is that how it works?
2: yes correct we have various packages depending on people's interests ranging from individual players to uh, everything in between like goodie bags sponsorship you know double shot pro for some foursomes you know double shotgun individuals so it's it's it, it, the, we, the way we put it is if you want to come, just play golf, have a good time. We have, a, you know, we have a spot for you. If you want to come, advertise. You want to come, network. Uh, you know, so we've given everybody a chance to be a part of our PES.
0: Okay, and then walk us through real quick the um, second semester, the career fair. So that's that's actually selling booths, as far as I understand.
2: Right, right, correct. Right. So what happens is the uh, students. At the second semester, they get in touch with um, most of most companies that you can actually see yourself watching for, and you go after those companies. And if they have, if they in alignment with what we're looking for in PES, then you pursue them and get them to come to PES because we know we have the best self students in the country, and we know that we actually benefit them as much as they benefit us as well. So most companies are actually very interested to come and you know, hire our students because they know whatever they're getting from PES is definitely worth their time and money. Well, I very much thank
0: you for your quick amount of time this morning, and it's a great amendment sure. to the conversation that we had last year at this point (laughs) i'm gonna make it really easy for everyone to help james crush the sales records because we we have some friends of the show that have been through this program and they hold some of these records so we got to help james crush them in all good fun it's just (laughs) just sales people So and I'm an
2: engineering student, so I'm not really good in sales.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they got you in the program, so you, uh, <laughs> you you clearly have potential. And so we'll talk offline, James, about the correct place to send them. But regardless, it's going to be really easy to get there. It'll be TribeRocket.com forward slash twjw. TribeRocket.com forward slash twjw so that people can get straight to you and either participate in the golf tournament or the career fair. Cause we got to help you crush, crush, crush those yep.
2: goals, crush them. That's true. Actually, that's one of my main goals. I'm planning on becoming the uh, top producer for next fall, so golf tournament. I love so, it. that will be a great help. Thank you, James.
0: <laughs> hey, it's, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for your patience. And I will, uh, I will hit you with a link as soon as this is this is live next week. That sounds fantastic, James. All right, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this 0.5 episode of the Oil and Gas This Week podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode, which include links to everything we talked about, James's contact information and details about his upcoming PES Open Golf Tournament at triberocket.com forward slash TWJWJ. You can also leave any comments or questions you have about this episode there. And that's triberocket.com forward slash TWJWJ. Join us again next time when we talk to Melanie Dodaro about how to optimize your time on LinkedIn more business.
2: So let's say, for example, you join 50 groups, and the average of these groups has anywhere between, you know, 5,000 members to 250,000 members. Well, you've just expanded your network by millions of people.
0: Until then, go find some grease, guys.